Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. And welcome to another episode of Undying Light. I am your host, Alex, and we are wrapping up the Old Testament today. So we have spent uh, the latter few weeks looking at um, some various scriptures, and we have looked at different passages in the Old Testament. <clears throat> we have actually have spent... Uh, I believe the last uh, one, two, three, four, five weeks in the Old Testament. Just And again, I really want to clarify that this series is not an in-depth study. Um, eschatology is a complex topic. It is a complex piece of doctrine, and it is you know, littered throughout all of scripture. It is, it's, there's tons of things that are always pointing us. And it really, as I've said in the last few episodes, kind of nestles us into what a lot of people call typology, because as I've said in the Genesis episode and the, the flood and, and all of these other Old Testament episodes, the Israelites were really looking for uh, something greater to come. They were looking for that promise. And that is exactly what typology is. It's a lesser of something pointing to a greater something. And so I really want to iterate that as we have walked through this time together. Now, as we close out the Old Testament, obviously there's plenty of scripture out there. There are plenty of views um, that we didn't cover. And really for the sake of this show, what I was, what I've been trying to do more or less, is just take us through kind of the Reader's Digest view of this um, and try to put together, the, you know, um, a scriptural understanding without relying too much on one of the four major views of eschatology and not allowing that to influence us, but looking at creation account, looking at the flood, looking at Sodom and Gomorrah and the Exodus and Abraham, and then the phrase that peaks up throughout scripture, the uh, day of the Lord. Um, we looked at a little bit of David 
Um, and it, even if you were to read through the Psalms, the Psalms are just filled with Scripture talking about the day of the Lord, talking about the prophecy of Christ coming, and all of these things kind of just are all put together nicely in there. So we didn't cover any of that, uh, but there's plenty out there. So uh, there's and there's great resources that you can go and pick up to study these things further. But uh, I really wanted to try and take this series um, at a higher level. You know, I want to kind of just move through some of the text. Obviously, some of the things that are um, often um, conflicted pieces of scripture, people often use it in manipulation um, to fit one of the four views. And that's obviously not what we want to do with scriptures. We don't want to take a philosophical perspective of scripture, which would be one of the four views, and then take scripture and kind of bend it to fit that view or take it a piece of scripture out of context and then pair it with another piece of scripture out of context to form that, uh, the foundation of that view. So that's what I've tried to stay away from in this. And again, we have not covered everything. There's so much more out here to cover, but I hope this Old Testament series kind of gets your brain thinking, saying, yes, there is so much more to be had in the Old Testament, and I really can't wait to get in and actually study it for myself. And I've tried to keep some notes and, and uh, resources in the show notes as we've kind of moved along, um, things that I've used. Uh, this episode, I'll try to get some of the things that I've used kind of throughout this little series in there because there's some good resources that I've picked up on. And uh, one of them, obviously, has been my Logos Bible software. It has been instrumental in in this whole process because I literally on my screen right now, I have a book on Daniel open up that will go over a little bit. I have my Bible opened up with right to Daniel chapter actually two, because we're going to look at one and two really quick. Then I have my ESV study Bible and I have other notes opened up as well. And Logos has been instrumental on this whole process because some of these books that I've used, uh, I have in Logos. So I can just go right to them examine them, read through them, and then formulate my my shows from those. And I also can have it on my phone. So if I'm on lunch break or I'm, you know, traveling and I'm got some time to kill, I bring up Logos and I start researching my next show. And so Logos has been just amazing piece of software for me. And really it's just great for all people because it's not just for pastor, for pastors or somebody in the ministry, it's not just for um, you know seminary students or theologians. I mean, it's great for you know stay-at-home parents raising their kids. It's good for people who deal with the youth. It's good for just the simple layperson who's looking to enhance their uh, understanding of Scripture. Because you can have countless amounts of books. I mean, I've got a couple thousand in my library now that I've accumulated over the few years I've used it. And I can just quickly access these books on demand, and I can take it, and I can have them anywhere. I have them on my laptop, and I have them on my phone. You can put them on a tablet if you have an iPad, um, and it's just really convenient. So, Logos has been instrumental. I will make sure to include. I, I, I have the link to it actually in the show notes now, but make sure you just at least check it out and DM me if you have any questions because it is 
Um, when you get into the some higher packages, obviously it is expensive. But if you think about it, the resources that you get in that would be far cheaper than if you were to go out and buy each individual book by itself. And then, and in this way, you have a digital copy of everything you could take anywhere versus the physical book where you keep it on your library. But I do enjoy physical books because I do have some um, that I've gone back and forth with in this whole series. So Jahard uh, Voss's uh, Eschatology of the Old Testament has been instrumental to me uh, in building this series out and just kind of reading through it and understanding all of the little kind of pieces, if you would, to uh, the Old Testament. And he's also got one on Pauline eschatology, which we're going to examine when we get after, uh, after the New Testament Gospels, uh, which is the next series after Christmas. So uh, I'll try to include some of those resources in the show notes, just so that way you guys can start the adventure of you know reading through Scripture through a different lens. And, and that's the biggest thing that I've really wanted to convey with this series, is reading Scripture through the eyes of um, that a greater something is coming. And that's really what the Old Testament was really aiming towards. It's, they weren't necessarily, um, you know, putting their hope that the, God would end a creation. They weren't putting their hope on, you know, all of the reconciliation to come. They were looking for a savior. They were looking for, and in most cases, sadly, uh, they were looking for a military savior, savior, a king. Somebody to come and raise them up and to be greater than all of the other world nations. Uh, and, and rightly so, because the Israelites, as we read through Scripture, were uh, often taken into captivity mainly because of their disobedience to God. And that's really where we will find ourselves in Daniel. Uh, and I'll read the introduction to the book and we'll look at this. But Daniel finds himself in captivity. And so the looking forward aspect is kind of misinterpreted often by a lot of the Pharisees and Sadducees and things like that. So that is something that we have to understand is that the Old Testament eschatology wasn't always looking at the end of the world versus where now that Christ has come, the New Testament and all of us now are looking for the day that God is essentially going to wipe away sin from this world and the new heavens and new earth will be established. So that is just, they're just kind of two different views. Now, Daniel does have, it is an apocalyptic piece of scripture. It's, um, it's heavy on prophecy. It's heavy on misinterpretation. Um, it's heavy on, you know, a lot of these things that people will try to take and put into a particular view of the end of times. Um, now, to say that's right or wrong, based upon your hermeneutics, and that's kind of what we've stressed this entire series, is based upon your hermeneutics is will, will be how you interpret scripture. So, uh, if you're a dispensationalist, you'll probably look at the book of Daniel and you'll rely heavily on some of these prophecies. If you're not a dispensationalist, then you will consider the, the prophecies in the book of Daniel and probably take them in a different manner or a different understanding. Uh, I myself am not a dispensationalist. However, we can still look through scripture in a non-biased manner and try to just read it and try to understand it 
and maybe fill in these cracks that we have in our theology. So with that said, I do want to make a couple other little uh, show notes, announcements, if you would, or little house cleaning pieces, um, mainly because uh, we've kind of set this show up. I want to make sure that I cover a couple pieces really quick before I start digging into the meat of Daniel. First of all, this is this show is uh, supporter ran. So we have a Patreon page, and we are blessed to have people who come alongside to support this ministry and to keep us producing episodes. And the more people that we get to come alongside us, the more episodes we can produce, the more time I can spend committed to researching and 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 writing these shows out and producing content. So if you have uh, considered this, please DM me if you have any questions. But we are uh, really looking towards ramping this uh, this ministry up in the coming months. So uh, I produced an episode last week strictly for the Patreons. They had a an exclusive episode on God's sovereignty and how God's sovereignty plays into some of the things in our lives that we may not necessarily want God's sovereignty to be at. So it was a good episode. I really enjoyed recording that. Um, and those are the types of things um, that I just pour into the Patreons is they throw me a topic, I research it, and I do an episode on it. Uh, we also do Bible studies, and and um, I do private giveaways for them, and all these other little things. They get you know the show ahead of time, and uh, they get show notes, things like that. So if you have please prayerfully consider supporting this ministry because the more supporters we get, the more content I can deliver and pour into. Um, and there's a lot of things on the um, horizon about getting, you know, about new content and new things that I'm going to be doing that are exclusively only for those individuals who support us. So not to say this show won't continue, it will, but there will be a lot of extra exclusive content strictly for them as well. So with that said, uh, obviously, if you have um, any desire to support this ministry, you can do so as well through buying shirts, sweatshirts, hats, uh, and other merchandise bags, little tote bags and coffee mugs with the Undying Light logo on it. Uh, Probably into the new year, we will be expanding our footprint a little bit in those realms, doing some different design work um, and different things like that for the for the merchandise. So, but I can't guarantee that will happen. But you can get yourself some sweet Undying Light merch. I've got a sweatshirt; I love it. It is fantastic. Um, I've got uh, an Undying Light shirt as well, obviously. So, check that out. The links to Patreon and the merchandise are in the bio on Reformed underscore Lifestyle on Instagram. Uh, and if you have any questions, DM me. You can also email the show, UndyingLightMinistries at gmail.com. All of this information is in the show notes, so you can check that out. Shoot me a message if you have any questions. If you're not on Instagram, that's perfectly fine. We can get you in to the community as well. We have a private Discord Discord server that we that I manage strictly for the uh supporters of the show. So that all said, that's the housekeeping tips. Now, before we really get into the book of Daniel, I want to make one other shout out. If you don't follow or listen to Bible Dingers, go do so immediately following the end of this show. 
or you can pause this show and go listen. They did a, they have done a, a whole trip through the Old Testament and they give you a, a semi deep dive into each book and they talk about kind of the whole premise of that book. And for instance, they've gone through the book of Daniel and they talk in detail all of the things that happen in Daniel. And so they have done extensive research and they have produced some great quality shows. So I highly recommend you go and listen to that to give you a better understanding of where this book of Daniel is coming from. They will give you historical knowledge, they give you contextual knowledge, and they go through the scripture and they will tell you what is going on. So that is why I highly recommend following them on Instagram and subscribing to their show because they are an amazing group of guys and I think that they are well-deserving of that. So please make sure you check them out on whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts and uh, subscribe, leave them, a, leave them a review after you listen to a few episodes. They are, um, they've done an, an crazy amount of work to produce their show, so I highly recommend it. And again, for the book of Daniel, I recommend that you go listen to them, and they would give you some interesting perspectives on that book. So it, it, along with all. And by the way, I was a guest on their Ezekiel show, so go and check that episode out, uh, and you'll hear me kind of... Uh, <laughs> struggle through that one that was a tough book to do but uh by the grace of god I, we made it through and uh, i think we produced a solid episode so all right so uh without further ado here's what we're going to look at in the book of daniel now daniel's kind of split into two parts and for the sake of this show we're going to primarily focus on the 70 weeks prophecy uh, I know we I kind of hyped up um, Daniel as being a, getting its own episode, and so we'll we'll look through some of these things. But the main meat of this show is going to be that that portion of text. So uh, if we kind of just look at an outline, which is by the way what the Bible diggers have kind of set for you. If you listen to that episode, they give you a whole in depth study on all the little tidbits of this book, and they have done a great job with it, so I can't stop recommending them. Anyways, so when we open up the book of Daniel, it is the year 605 BC. It is the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, comes to Jerusalem and besieges it. So that is the first verse in Daniel 1. So Daniel is then taken captive to Babylon. So now there's a lot of context that happens in this book. It is a deep book to dig into, and I highly recommend you get yourself a good study guide and some good commentary and really examine this. But that's not what this particular episode is going to be about. We will, however, uh, kind of look at some of the highlights of it. And when we come back around to Daniel, when we go into uh, the section-by-section -section scriptural walkthrough of the Bible, uh, is a series I hope to start later next year, we will get to Daniel at one point, and we will examine Daniel in greater detail, examining it verse by verse. So, uh, and then, you know, we'll often come back to the eschatological importance of this book. 
not only in that section, but when we get to the book of Revelation and potentially uh, Pauline theology, uh, Pauline eschatology, and the uh, gospel eschatology sections of this series. So uh, if we don't cover a particular piece of scripture in depth, it will get covered greater in depth then. So keep you on the edge of your seat and make you waiting for more. So uh, so when we get to chapter 2, uh, we have uh, Nebuchadnezzar's dream, and this is in the second year of his reign. Uh, and he's having some dreams that are troubling, and uh, he's not able to sleep, so he calls all of these people forward to try and interpret his dream. So if we bounce down to verse 17, uh, we see that God reveals his dream. So I'm going to read 17 through 23 real quick, um, and we will... Uh, actually, you know what? I'm going to go down to verse 20, So because that's where the uh, interpretation starts. So... Verse 20, Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and acknowledge and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells in him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what you have asked me, asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. So then, uh, basically what Daniel is going to tell the king, therefore Daniel went into uh, Arioch, and whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show him the interpretation so then he's brought before the king in haste and thus said to him, I have found among the exiles in Judah a man who will make known to the king uh, the interpretation. The king declares to Daniel, whose name was Balthasar, are you able to make known to me the name uh, that I have seen and its interpretation? And Daniel answers to the king, no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers uh, can show the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries and he has made known to the king of Nebuchadnezzar and will be in the latter days. Your dream and your vision in your head as you lay in bed are these. Verse 29, to you, O king, as you lay in bed, come thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me. Not because of any wisdom that I have more than any or more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king that you may know the thoughts of your mind. So now we get down to verse 31 and we have the interpretation. And you saw, O king, and behold, a great image, this image mighty and exceeding brightness stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. Now, I really want to stop right here. So, if we look at Daniel verse chapter 2, verses 31 through uh, 33 that I just read, uh, we are going to examine some of these here really quick. So the notes, the one 
is like, now going back to verse 25, the one is like the son of gods. This is the pre-incarnate Christ. Christ identifies with the persecution of the Jews and his power protects them. But looking at this text, verse 31 through 33, it, it, appears that it's describing something. And I've heard these verses used oftentimes in a depiction of Christ, and even in some of the more cultish circles like the Hebrew Israelites will use this imagery to show that uh, Jesus was an African-American or, you know, he was dark-complected, and these... You know, they're literally taking this these verses literally. And what we can look at in this text is not necessarily that, obviously. And they also we go to Revelation too. So we'll come back to this description of Christ in Revelation again. But this is more of a progressive decrease in the value of materials and the image from the head to the feet. Uh, some interpreters view this mixture of iron and clay in the feet to uh, as an image as representing the second phase of the fourth kingdom, different from the legs of solid iron. The king of kings in the fourth kingdom, this is now jumping down verses 37 through 40. If you jump in and read that really quick, I'm not going to, but uh, Daniel is talking about the king of kings and then the fourth kingdom. The four kingdoms have been widely understood since the Jewish historian Josephus to be the empires of Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. Others understand them to be Babylon, uh, Media, Persia, and Greece, a sequence in agreement with the liberal critical view that the book was written during the period of the Greek ascendancy in the Middle East. Darius's appeal to the single law of the Medes and Persians agrees with the first order of the empires. The only certain identification between the portions of the image in the specific world empires is Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon, as the head of gold. It is plausible that the four represents completeness here. Rather than seeking to describe partial kingdoms, the sequence describes the consistent downward trend in world history, not toward greater glory and unity, but toward greater dishonor and chaos until the kingdom of God arrives on earth and fills it with his glory. The rock that crushes all of the kingdoms of the world is Christ, as noted in Luke 20, verse 18. He is the mystery of the ages, the one in whom God will unite all things in his glorious kingdom, Ephesians 1, 9, and 10. So, that is a look at these this imagery that we see in verse thirty one through thirty three the uh, the falling away essentially as it's these notes are telling you that the world isn't getting better it's getting worse and you know look out your window turn on the news you'll see that evident today the world is falling into massive division it is a world of us versus them and sadly. Sin runs rampant, and it will continue to do this until God establishes his final kingdom on earth with Christ at its head. And so, uh, again, there's a lot of different ways to interpret this text, and let's try to keep necessarily from the literal interpretation, if possible, in these. So, 
Uh, as we continue on, uh, really, as I had mentioned early in the show, the book of Daniel is broken into two sections, right? And I really, again, I wanted to highlight that first prophecy of Daniel. Uh, what we get is, um, and we're going to kind of go over this he- these, this outline really quick um, with you as we will then dive into the second half of the book of Daniel. Uh, the first half is just the ministry of Daniel in Babylon. This spans from verse uh, chapter 1, verse 1, through 628. Uh, so we get his, Daniel's identity and character, and this goes on to the first moral test in verse 8, and then we see God's blessing upon Daniel and his friends. And then what we just went through is Nebuchadnezzar's dream, and uh, which spans chapter 2. Uh, and then we get the trial of the three Hebrews in chapter 3. And then in 4, we have the second dream, God's judgment on the king. Uh, then we have Balthasar's feast in the fall of Babylon in chapter 5. Then we have Daniel in the lion's den, obviously a very famous and well-known piece of scripture amongst many Christians. And then we have uh, part 2, the visions of Daniel in Babylon, and this spans chapter 7 through 12. Uh, and this is covering Daniel's night vision and meaning, which is the first 28 verses of, which is all of chapter 7. And so we'll glance at this a little bit because there are some uh, eschatological pieces in this. Then we will see the vision of the ram, the goat, and the little horn. And the vision of the 77s. This is probably the biggest piece that we will be covering in this episode. Because this is where a lot of misinterpretation comes from. And then Daniel's final vision, chapters 10 through 12. And then at, uh, Daniel concludes with his final instructions to uh, preserve the message, the duration of time of distress, and Daniel's question and reply the last few verses in chapter 12. So some of those things we just won't cover, mainly because they don't have uh, that big of an impact on where we're at. But let us focus here on two pieces in the book of Daniel. First of all, we're going to look at uh, chapter 7, as it is probably one of the most crucial chapters. And then we're going to look at the 70 weeks portion of the text as well. So these are going to be uh, two of the bigger pieces of this episode, Um, even though we've kind of highlighted some of the other aspects of this book already. uh, I really want to lay into this piece of text. So Uh, For a variety of reasons, the modern commenters are generally in agreement that chapter 7 in the book of Daniel is the single most important chapter. Uh, Portis calls it the heart of the book of Daniel, uh, and it's no exaggeration to say that this chapter is one of the most important passages in the Old Testament. So we can ask ourselves, why is it really that important? First, it marks a literary turning point in the book of Daniel. So the first half of Daniel is historical accounts and visions. And we've seen that by earlier that we covered uh, the one of the first interpretations of Nebuchadnezzar's dreams. And then there's more that follow that. So now we're transitioning, uh, which is where chapter 7 falls into. It's a transitional chapter, uh, and it's bound by the preceding stories by use of the Aramaic language and by the affinities with chapter 2, and it ties in the following divisions by its subject matter. Thus, this passage effectively joins the two parts of the book together. 
So it's a it's key in understanding that. Uh, since, since the second division uh, of the book begins with chapter seven, as I've noted, there's two parts with this book. The uh, a few general comments are also in order with concerning the sections as a whole. First, the earlier chapters are a preparatory for the second half of the book of Daniel and are necessary for understanding it. Daniel's background, his credentials, his nationality, religion, his character are all building up uh, to this, and obviously they're all granted by the sovereign God, as we've seen set forth in chapters 1 through 6. The accounts in this final chapter are demonstrated by the power and sovereignty of the Lord and have prepared a way for prophecies in the later half. If Daniel's God was able to deliver him from the lion's den and from the fire, uh, he also possesses the miraculous ability to predict the future. So this is where we start to get into some meaty material. So let's examine this portion of the book of uh, Daniel in chapter 7, uh, Daniel's vision of the four beasts, and uh, I'm going to read starting in verse 1. In the first year of Balthasar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw, in, saw a dream and visions in his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts came out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings, and then I, as I looked, its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. And the mind of a man was given to it, and behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear, it was raised up on one side it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth and it was told arise devour much flesh after i looked and behold another like a leopard it's with four wings of a bird on its back and the beast had four heads and the dominion was given to it after i saw in the great visions and behold a fourth beast terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong it had great iron teeth it devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the other beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came among them another horn, a little one, before which the three of the first horns were plucked by its roots, and behold, in its horn were the eyes like eyes of man, and its mouth speaking great things. Verse 9 the Ancient of Days reigns. As I looked, horns were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat, and his clothing was as white as snow, and his hair on his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flamed, and its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousands served him, and tens of thousands times ten thousand stood before him, and the court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. And I looked then because of the sound of the great words of the horn were speaking, and as I looked, the beast was killed, and its body devoured, and given over to be burned with fire. And as for the rest of the beast, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. 
Uh, the Son of Man is given dominion, verse 13. And I saw in the night visions, and behold, like clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages would serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So there's a lot going on here. And there's a lot that we could pick apart and we're going to examine. Um, But I really want to kind of focus on just a few key things before we really um, get into this. Now, first of all, there's some great commentaries on the book of Daniel. So like I've said and I've stressed, make sure you get yourself a good book. Um, I'll make uh, notes to the one I'm looking at. It's called The New American Commentary on the Book of Daniel by Stephen Miller. And just reading through it, it is an, it's a very deep dive into a verse-by-verse, and it explains things very well. I also use uh, study Bibles, and I have other notes in that that I've collected from other sources. So, um, Make sure you have a good commentary, a good study Bible, because the, this material is deep. It's challenging. So um, right off the bat, we get the four winds of the great sea uh, in verse 2 here in chapter 7. And these, uh, the four winds and the four great beasts are seemingly uncontrollable. And... This vision unfolds during the night. Daniel is gazing into the scenes that are being displayed before him, and suddenly he saw four winds churning up the great sea. And now some references point towards the Mediterranean. Uh, The phrase the great sea does not denote this particular body of water elsewhere in uh, it does note, I'm sorry, does note this particular body of water elsewhere in the Old Testament. Uh, as we see in Joshua, uh, all throughout that book, but that identification does not appear to have any significance in this portion of the text. Daniel has interpreted the symbol for the reader later in this chapter, and the scripture passages elsewhere also make the meaning clear. In verse 3, the four great beasts are portrayed as coming up from the sea, And in verse 17 states that these four beasts rise up from the earth. Thus, verse 17 interprets the sea as a symbolic, to be symbolic of the earth. And the beasts that rise out of the sea are interpreted later in the chapter as being earthly kingdoms. However, the sea regularly stands for the people or nations of the earth as a symbolism of scripture. Sinful humanity is compared to a sea in Isaiah 57. The wicked are like the tossing of the sea, which cannot rest, whose waves are cast up mirror and mud in Isaiah 17. And again, we see that uh, symbolism used in the book of Revelation. The four winds of the sea were churning up, and it's a time of a sudden storm. The uh, participle churning up can also mean bursting forth. And this idea seems to be that these winds suddenly burst forth upon the sea. So there's a lot of symbolism here with the sea. Now moving down to the beasts that have come out. Uh, They now appear, as we mentioned just a few minutes ago, that they are earthly kingdoms, four kingdoms that will arise from the earth or, quote-unquote, the sea. 
Uh, these are the same empires that were represented back in chapter 2 that we discussed. Daniel 7 merely provides more detailed information concerning them. Generally, these four empires in this chapter are interpreted in the same manner as we just discussed in chapter 2. So they are Babylon, the Meadow, Persia, Greece, and Rome. These four beasts are said to be different from one another. Daniel may have meant that only the kinds of animals varied and that the beasts represent different realities. Yet, it seems that these differences extend to the empires themselves. That is, the four empires would be would be the divisive, uh, in, diverse in character. Um, so that's what we're getting here as we look at the seas, the the winds hitting the sea, and then the four beasts. And then, uh, not to get into greater detail for time's sake, uh, the commentaries that I'm looking at then breaks down each of these beasts and provides greater detail surrounding them. Now, I want to look at verses 9 here, uh, the destruction of the fourth beast. And we just read all of that scripture, verses 9 through uh, 12. And what we are getting is God's court convenes and the sentence of judgment upon the little horn in his empire are carried out, verses 11 and 12. Verses 9 and 10 are in a poetic form as the parallelism in the Aramaic text demonstrates. Again, there's some complexity to this. This isn't just something that we can read and then just take these verses and apply them to a particular view. We have to dig in and truly study this scripture, which I I love doing and I will do so as we carry on in this show uh, in the future. So there's a startling contrast here, verses 7 and 8, that the Antichrist is blaspheming the God of heaven. But in verse 9 and 10, the sovereign Lord is sitting upon his throne, calmly preparing for the day of judgment. Uh, Some commentaries are saying a greater contrast between the two connecting verses can hardly be imagined. Uh, Montgomery observes that the scene of the divine session is the coming of the Son of Man, this scene. Uh, one of which has no equal among the other apocryphes. So as you can see, there is just continuous complexity to reading and understanding these pieces of Scripture. And even still, we have yet to get to verses 13 and 14 discussing the kingdom of heaven. And these two verses are the grand climax of this vision is reached. Uh, They are poetic in their uh, basis. Four kingdoms are symbolized by the beast, the kingdoms of men. Um, Now another kingdom comes into view, the kingdom of God. Verse 13 is the verse of Daniel most often quoted in the New Testament. Interestingly enough, Daniel watched in awe as one, like the Son of Man, descended into the throne room surrounded by the clouds of heaven. Verse 13, one like the Son of Man means that this person was in human form and he is more than just man. So there is some, there's a lot going on here. Now, if we jump down to verse 15, Daniel's vision is interpreted. Uh, As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious and the visions in my head alarmed me as I approached one of those who stood there and asked him for truth concerning all of this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things. The four great beasts are four kings who shall arise from the earth. 
as we've noted. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever, and ever. Again, so there's so much to unpack in just this chapter. And for, again, the sake of time, I'm going to move on and we're going to discuss the uh, 70 weeks of Daniel. This is a Again, another piece of text that is extraordinarily complex to deal with, and I want to make sure that we uh, give it the appropriate amount of just at least knowledge here, because there's a lot going on here, and I want to ensure that we unpack this a little bit and start to explain this a little bit. But again, get yourself some commentaries to understand the book of Daniel. It is not an easy read. And I hope to do it more justice when we come back to it. And then again, as we look to it in, from uh, the book of Revelation. So I know I keep saying that over and over, but I can't stress it enough. So we're going to move on down to Daniel 9. We're going to start in verse 24, and we are going to talk uh, because this is where we will be getting... Uh, some discrepancies, if you would, on the this piece of text and how it is interpreted and how many other eschatological views uh, will use this text and try to manipulate uh, some views, if you would, of it. And it becomes very difficult to kind of weed through this. So verse 24, if you grab your Bible which I hope you have if you're listening to this, if you can. Uh, if you're Obviously, if you're driving, then don't do that. But uh, I would hope that through this series, you have your Bible with me and uh, you're walking through this text. So verse 24, 70 weeks are decreed about your people in your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin and atone for iniquity. To bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Know, therefore, and understand that from the going out of the world to restore and to build Jerusalem to the coming of the anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for sixty-two weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time, and after... Sixty-two weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing, and the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with the flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed, and he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week, and for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abominations shall come who makes desolate until the decree end is poured out on the desolator. And then in, that's wrapping up chapter 9, and then Dan, Daniel moves into chapter 10 with a terrifying vision of man. So let's look at these verses here a little bit. So there are many suggested interpretations of the 70 weeks or 77s as the ESV notes. Uh, but there are three main views. Let's look at those views. The passage refers to events surrounding Antichus IV, uh, who reigned in the year 175 to 164 BC. Uh, the second view is that the 77s are often understood figuratively. And three, the passage 
refers to events around the time of Christ. Most scholars understand that the 70 quote-unquote sevens is to, ma- is to be made up of 70 times seven years or 490 years, but they apply these three different, these, these years to different periods of time. In any case, the important point is that God has anointed the amount of time and thus his people shall not lose heart. So let's look at these three views. Uh, and again, trying to stay as impartial and unbiased as possible. Uh, we will not attribute or try not to attribute uh, to any of the four major eschatological views or understandings of this text. So view number one, those who hold to this first view often understand the word to restore and build Jerusalem in verse 25 to allude to Jeremiah's prophecy of the 70 years of captivity, uh, which began in 605 B.C., or some start right around 586 uh, when the Babylonians destroyed the temple and extended to the cleansing of the temple by Judas Maccabeus in 164 or the death of Antiochus in 164. These solutions give only approximate fulfillment of the 70 weeks since 490 years after 605 is 115 and 490 years after 586 is 96 B.C. An objective to this view is that it is hard to see how the events around Antiochus could fulfill the purpose of the 70 weeks, such as to to finish the transgression and to, quote-unquote, make an end to sin and to, quote-unquote, bring in everlasting righteousness. In view number two, scholars who hold to the second view believe that the 490 years, uh, this is 7 plus 62 plus one each multiplied by seven years to be symbolic periods of time ending in the first century AD. Supports for this finding symbolism here comes from the mention of 70 in Daniel 9.2 and the connection to seven to the weekly Sabbath in Leviticus 23, to the Feast of Weeks, to the sabbatical year, and to the Jubilee year. These numbers can therefore imply God's perfect appointed uh, appointment of time. One approach to uh, for the second view is to simply say that 70 times 7 symbolizes the ultimate in completeness and no further uh, specificity is implied. Another approach is to see three broad periods, which... The first period of seven sevens extending from Cyrus's decree allowing the Jews to return and rebuild the temple in 538 to about the time of Ezra and Nehemiah in the 5th century. Then the 62 weeks extends from about 400 BC to the advent of Christ. Now, let me just kind of pause here for a minute because the, there's tons of numbers in these views, right? All of these numbers are trying to put into a period of time uh, indicating a significant amount of events. And I kind of go back to the objection for the first one, that it's hard to see how these events uh, are surrounding any particular period of time to make an end of sin, to finish the transgressions, and to bring everlasting righteousness. Now, um we might see that here again, so let's look at, in addition, the purposes of the 70 weeks does not appear to be fulfilled in 70 AD. 
because those three elements have not been completed. Some interpreters who hold to the symbolic view have suggested that it refers to a time, uh, a period of time ending in Christ's second coming, which would answer this last objective. So the third view sees that the 77s is a literal period of 490 years, cultivating around the time of Christ. But what starting date can be used? Again, we are given multiple starting dates, and then math becomes the ultimate piece to trying to fit this text uh, into a understanding worldview. Uh, and a lot of these views are cultivating around this idea that, um, you know, they're either going to end with the birth of Christ, the advent of Christ, or they will uh, symbolically represent a period of time through Christ. And then there's this gap of time where the, the 70th week, which is often the most uh, disputed time, um, comes to from a dispensational perspective where they will argue that that last seven years is actually the seven-year tribulation. And that is in a little bit more on the, I don't want to say more radical, but the more kind of, key, uh, maybe radical is a good term because I don't know if all dispensationals will hold to a seven-year tribulation. Uh, most likely, if you're listening and you have ran into a dispensationalist um, or you hold to a dispensationalist viewpoint, uh, you probably have read books like Left Behind and and the Four Blood Moons of the Apocalypse and all these other things because they're they're just drenched in dispensationalism. And they're using the text here, the 70 weeks text here in Daniel, as a means to kind of... Um, add more validity to their to their viewpoint. So an additional question is whether Daniel's prophecy allows for a gap between the 69th and the 70th week, because that is the week in question. Again, as I just mentioned, dispensationalists will interpret uh, Daniel 9.26 to allow for the entire church age, and verse 27 to describe that 70th week. That includes the seventy the, the seven-year tribulation and then the appearance of the Antichrist. Dispensationalists will argue that Daniel's vision appears to be dealing primarily with the events regarding the nation of Israel, not gen, uh, Gentiles. And other interpreters have thought that no such gap is implied by Daniel's words. Uh, there are many difficulties in deciding between these interpretations, which also involve questions in the proper approach to, under, uh, to understanding and interpreting biblical prophecy. In all of this, it is crucial not to dismiss Daniel's message for his audience, namely that God has allotted in an amount of time for these events. Therefore, his people should trust and endure. So I want to kind of wrap this up because I really think that, as I just mentioned, that there can be a lot of misunderstanding in the text of Daniel. There's a lot of misinterpretation in these few verses. And it all centers around that final week. And some will say, well, this, there's a gap of period before that last week will happen. And, you know, it very well may. And it all comes back to what is your hermeneutical interpretation of Scripture? 
So one of the things I want to kind of stress forward is, as some of these notes have stressed themselves, is not to dismiss the text in Daniel and some of these visions and understandings of the end of times. We cannot dismiss it. It is here in text. The Bible gives it to us. This is God's word breathed out for us. However, we have to be very careful when we interpret Scripture and then we position ourselves to say that the text only means this or it means this and that. We have to be very careful if we kind of put the lid down and say that there's nothing else possibly that this text can mean, especially in contested text like uh, Daniel 9. Sorry. Um, we have to be very careful with our interpretation and the means that we go about it. Uh, there has to be additional support, but we also have to understand the context and the audience that Daniel is bringing this message forward to. And so with that, uh, we're going to wrap up Daniel and we're going to wrap up the Old Testament walkthrough on eschatology. As I've mentioned in this episode and many others, now there, there's so much more. Right, I've mentioned that there's so much more text out here. There's so much more scripture that can point us to the end of times. And really what I want to stress, again, is this typology aspect of the Old Testament. It is something that points us to. And it is pointing us to the coming of Christ either the first time or, uh, in the case of Daniel, we do see some uh, establishments of God's kingdom in the Son of Man. So we do see some of that second coming of Christ eschatological text being brought forward. So anytime we come across uh, eschatological text, we have to sit back and understand the broader scope of what is it telling us? Is this pointing us to a greater something? Is this uh, audience meant for a specific time period? Is this text in reference to... Um, a period of time in Israel? Is it actually pointing us to possibly judgment for Israel in a singular stance? Is it pointing us towards um, judgment on the broader scale for the whole world? There's a lot of questions that we can ask ourselves on this. So I highly stress to take the time and to do your homework and to dig into the text yourself and as we continue on in the series, know that the Old Testament will be a foundational part of our walk through the rest of the text. The New Testament is built upon the Old and often recites Old Testament text. So when we get to the eschatological pieces there in the New Testament, we will see and understand some of these texts in greater context. So if I didn't cover a particular text you're interested in, feel free to email me. Um, and if I didn't cover something in as great a depth as you've wanted, feel free to email me. And note that I will be coming back and revisiting a lot of this as we get into the New Testament series. So this is going to conclude the Old Testament. I hope that this just is a great starter for you to get your feet wet and seeing some of this text kind of brought forward and actually laid out in context with other texts. And uh, we're going to actually pause the eschatological series for a month of December, and uh, next week we will be starting a Christmas series. And so we will do four episodes in this series. We'll have one on Christmas Day for sure, 
And I am juggling dropping a Christmas Eve bonus episode. Haven't decided yet, depending on how I work out this series, but we'll probably come in next week and we will look at maybe some misconceptions to Christmas and should Christians really actually celebrate it. Uh, We might do a little historical deep dive into it and then we will start looking at some of the text. And I think as this series kind of plays out, what I might do is uh, look at some of the prophecies that come from the Old Testament and talk about Christ coming, the Savior, uh, and then we'll look at that as the series progresses. And then maybe New uh, Christmas Eve, uh, we'll drop an episode and just really look at the birth of Christ and then Christmas Day, obviously, to celebrate that. So um, that is what's coming up in December. And then in January, we will jump back into this text. Uh, we will be starting in the Gospels. And then we will move through those and conclude this series and move on from it. So, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for staying with me. I hope you guys uh, enjoyed this portion of the series. And we will see you all next week in the season of Christmas. God bless. Love you all. Extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.